Here's a preview of today's Abounding Grace. As a fellowship family, we're in a dangerous place. As a movement, we're in a dangerous place. But look at Jesus is bigger than any movement on the earth. Jesus is bigger than any revival. Jesus is bigger than any man he's ever used. Jesus is bigger than any woman he ever used. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we tap into what he's doing on the earth, man, we're right in the middle of his will. And we need to stay there, church. We need to stay there. This is amazing grace. It is a real pleasure to have you along as we open our Bibles to John's Gospel and get ready for a great time of study in God's Word here on Abounding Grace. Today, Pastor Ed Taylor brings us a message based on John chapter 17. Now, this chapter is commonly referred to as the Red Letter Prayer because it consists entirely of the Lord's Prayer the night before He was arrested and crucified. We're listening to the King pray and gaining insight on prayer as we are. Here's Pastor Ed starting us off with a great definition of discipleship. It says in verse 8, For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and known surely that I came forth from you, that they believed that you sent me. Next to this verse, in verse 8, you could write the word discipleship. This is one of the best definitions of discipleship in all of the Bible. And I'm going to give you another one before before we go, because this is where we're going to end our time today. Discipleship. I hear so much talk about discipleship and material, discipleship materials and discipleship classes and mentors and coaches and on and on and on and on. Listen, the Holy Spirit is your discipler and this is how it works. You hear from the Lord, you do it, and then you tell someone else. That's discipleship. Bible study is a part of it. Maybe getting together with another person is a part of it. But you receive, that's what Jesus says, I've given them the words that you gave me, Father. So he received words from the Father. He gave them away. They received them and went out and did them. That's discipleship. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not measured by how many times you go to church, how many prayers you pray, how how long you've been a believer, how much of a history your family has walking with the Lord. None of that is maturity. Maturity is measured by simply your level of obedience. That means that a person could be walking with the Lord for 25 years and be immature. (laughs) Wow. Think about that today. The Broncos aren't playing. You got all day today. You got the rest of the year, so what I hear. Maybe five or ten. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But man, I had to get some that laughter in here because you, somebody, you're going to throw something at me. Or There's a lot of tension when we're talking about these things. But listen, God's heart is, your, is for you to grow in grace. That's why somebody that's a new believer can be so mature because they're just simple. I heard it, I did it. I heard it, I received it, I did it. 
I heard it. I received it. I did it. That's the model of ministry. That's the model of discipleship. Listen, that's the model of church growth. It's not programs. It's not fancy flyers. It's not, you know, taking the modern day movies of the day and putting together some five minute Bible study and then showing movie clips on a screen. I mean, seriously, people don't need movie clips. You need the word of God. You get enough of the world during the time that you're in the world. When you're taken out of the world, man, you need the word. You need to grow in grace. And if a pastor or two are just on your way home from service right now listening to radio, please just pray and ask the Lord to confirm to you to give your people the word of God. Give them the word of God on a steady diet. Feed them the meat. Give them a few bones to chew on. Put the Brussels sprouts on there. Because talking about hypocrisy on Sunday morning is like Brussels sprouts there. It's just nasty. It's like horrible. It's like, why, why did God, that, they're from the fall. They're like thorns. <laughs> Brussels sprouts are from the fall. But that's a healthy spiritual diet. You know, you get the fun stuff about love and grace and, you know, the real meaty stuff. Or for you vegans out there, you know, tofu, whatever, tofu steak. If that's what you like, I guess, enjoy it. I don't judge you. Take care of your temple. Use it for the glory of God. But if you like meat, you like a well-rounded meal, you need to be in a church that's going to give that to you or you'll never grow. You'll sit in church your whole life and never grow and wonder why. Because you're sincere, you're genuine. You can be in a church like this that teaches the word and still never grow. Why? Because it requires your response. You have to obey. If you don't obey what God tells you to do, you will stunt your spiritual growth. And all the while have the appearance, what the Bible says, you will have an outward show of, of holiness, but you'll deny the power thereof. You'll actually look like a believer. You might even sound like a believer, but you don't live like a believer. Therefore, you are conflicted. And this is discipleship. And this is something that we have, we really need to understand in the life of our congregation that we really need a grasp of fresh and anew. Let me show you. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me, would you? 2 Timothy, it's to the right from where you're at. Chapter 2. Because this is what happened here. This is what has happened in our own congregation. You know, Paul caught the vision of Jesus. He caught the discipleship vision, just like Peter did, just like James did. Uh, you and I are saved today because believers throughout the ages caught this vision from Jesus and they've replicated it all the way down to today to our little fellowship on this little corner of dirt in Colorado. God has, and, and now we get to replicate it beyond ourselves until the coming of the Lord. But, but here's the thing. Here's what Paul says. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That, that is discipleship. The things that you heard Receive them, internalize them, and then commit them to faithful men that they can teach others also. It's all packed in this verse. This is how churches grow. This is how families grow. This is how marriages grow. This is how singles grow. This is exactly the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. This is why this church exists today, because this took place starting with a man by the name of Chuck Smith back in the late 60s. Back in the late 60s, the generation that was lost back then are known as the hippies. Some of you were a hippie. Some of you might still be a hippie. I wasn't a hippie. I wasn't even born. 
by the time the hippies were there. But I do know this, the life I was living apart from Christ, if I was alive during hippie days, I probably would have been one. They just checked out on life and were anti-everything and lost as lost could be and pushed outside of the traditional church. But God, unbeknownst to anybody, wanted to do a work in those hippies and their families because hippies have moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Some of them had jobs, so they had co-workers. They had drug dealers that they bought from. They had people that hung out on the, on the beach with. They went to Woodstock together. They were around people because God is in the people-saving business. And so what did God do? He found a man. His name was Chuck Smith. He wasn't the only man. He wasn't the only man that was, God was using. But from our fellowship family, our lineage was Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith started teaching the Bible and gathered together a group of men, just like Jesus did, that were imperfect that were, which you'd scratch your head thinking, how could God use them? How could God possibly use them? But God wanted to use them. They got saved. They started teaching the Bible, praying together, singing together. Guys would go out and plant churches. And a guy by the name of Jeff Johnson, he came in and got saved during that time and started associating with Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith. And he went to a city called Downey, California, started a Bible study. And people were gathering together and they went from building to building. And And in 1991, a punk walked into that very church that Jeff Johnson was pastoring. And he sat in the back and he listened to Bible study just like this. And week after week, he would hear about the love of God. And God finally grabbed his heart. And he was born again right there in that Calvary Chapel. And he spent spent time there for eight years and raised a family. Eight years within that church. And God finally spoke upon his heart and confirmed it for them to move right here to Colorado. And do the same thing all over again. The things that I heard and received, I'm to now teach them. Commit them to faithful men and women so they can go off and teach others. And that's the heritage of our church. and, And that is then, it didn't end with me. It's not like that. Because we've sent so many out to plant churches. And hopefully they're doing the same thing now. We've got missionaries out right now. We've got missionaries praying about leaving. We've got people going out into their communities, starting something in apartment buildings, starting something at work, little Bible studies, little prayer groups, and all over. And you're doing the same thing over and over and over. You see, they called that move in the 60s, reaching the hippies, they called it the Jesus movement. But I want you to know the Jesus movement isn't Calvary Chapel. It isn't the vineyard. It isn't Methodism. It isn't Presbyterianism. It isn't anything that we try to make it. The Jesus movement is Jesus. Nobody replaces Jesus, church. Nobody replaces Jesus. You got that? No man replaces Jesus. No woman replaces Jesus. No movement replaces Jesus. No church replaces Jesus. No marriage replaces Jesus. Should I go on? Nobody replaces Jesus. Say that with me. Nobody replaces Jesus, period. I don't replace Jesus. You don't replace Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith, period. That's the end, author and finisher of our faith. But here's the thing. We're human. And in our humanity, we make big mistakes when it comes to movements of God. It's actually a pretty predictable pattern. We looked at already some of it. It starts, usually movements of God start with a man. If you're taking notes, jot these down. I want you to remember these. This is important for us as a church family. It's important for our city. It's important for moves of God. Well, we, it starts with a man, like, like it says in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles, it says that God's, his eyes are going to and fro throughout all the earth, looking for someone he can show himself strong on behalf of. 
And it starts with a man. And then through that man that's passionate and sold out to the things of God, he starts to gather people around him. And as he's teaching and loving and serving and outreach, you know, just constant outreach, constant outreach. That's, that's the life of our church, just constantly looking for ways to reach our community, constantly doing things to reach our community. There's a group together, gathered together by God, and that man becomes, number two, a movement. And that's an exciting stage to be a part of. The movement. Man, the Lord's working here, the Lord's working there, saving him, saving her. It's amazing. A movement of God. A powerful move of God. And, And it's in that movement that God does great things and it begins to grow and a ministry begins to go forward, laboring in love. God's grace is poured out. People are getting saved. But then there's a third stage where the man and the movement become a, well, become a machine. And the man's passion gets drowned out by the work and by the expansion and by the tendency to formalize and box in the work. And the man, as he entrusts ministry to other people, don't properly represent the Holy Spirit. And they stifle the Holy Spirit. And they quench the Holy Spirit. And, and then before you know it, there's God still doing something. But it's not as exciting as being waiting on the Lord anymore. Because now it's just, well, what's so predictable. And, and it's just a machine. We're just going through the motions. And before you know it, over time, it, don't even really notice it. The man that God used to start a movement that kind of became static and be a machine turned into a monument looking back at the man that God used so many years ago. That's always a sad place. I mean, don't think for a moment that it couldn't happen to us. It could. I look back back at the work of God in the past with great respect, but I don't worship the past. The, the, The thing about the monument stage, you know you're in the monument stage when these words start to come out of your mouth. You ready? I remember the... Good old days. Really? You remember the good old days? Really? The good old days. What were these? Well, you know, back in 1957. You got to say it that way. You go back that far. I remember when, and I remember when. Do you know the Bible? Brother reminded me of this after first service. Do you know the Bible forbids that? Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The Bible forbids this. When we look back, we need to look back with respect. But we have to look forward, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We don't make a monument out of the work of God. We don't want to make a monument of the man that God used in his ministry and the monument of the movement. We want to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you couldn't find it, I'll just read it to you. You can jot it down. Verse 10. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. Do not say. Okay, Solomon, what are we not supposed to say? Why were the former days better than these? That's in your Bible. Why were the former days better than these? If you find yourself thinking of the good old days are better than these, or the former days are better than these, that's a time for a heart check. Because the reason why the former days are better than these is because somewhere along the way, you have wandered away from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I have wandered away. Don't think for a minute it can't happen to us or our movement, family of churches. It can. And it will. And we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. And just worship him and love him and obey him in the process of discipleship. 
The, the reality is, is that there is a mo- danger of a monument ministry. We have an example of that in the Bible. Look it up in the book of Revelation. The church in Ephesus. Compare the postcard in Revelation to the church in Ephesus to the book of Ephesians. What happened in 30 years? They left their first love. And they needed to repent, remember from where they have fallen, repent, and return and repeat the first works. That might be a word of the Lord for some of you. But it's even worse than that. Man, movement, machine, monument, it gets worse. Because a monument ministry that's always looking backwards... Hard to move. The Spirit of God can't move in that ministry anymore. Can't shift, can't guide, can't direct because the monument many times can't be moved. Why? Because monuments almost always are set in stone. (laughs) Set in stone, man. We don't want that. So the whole process, God often has to go beyond the static to go do a new work and find another man that's not so restricted and be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. But we can always be that man. We can always be that woman. But it gets worse because the monument becomes a mausoleum. What I mean by that is churches simply become buildings containing the spiritually dead. Yes, they gather week after week. They sing songs. They give offerings. They might sign up for a few things here and there. They have an appearance of life, but inside they're filled with dead men's bones. Over and over and over again, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for having an appearance of spirituality, but being dead inside. And over and over again, the Holy Spirit does the same thing with us when we lack spiritual life in our lives. I don't want to be a part of a mausoleum. God didn't save me. He didn't save you. He didn't enlist us in ministry to become mechanical and religious. He didn't save us. He didn't begin a movement for it to fizzle out because we want to organize it now and and we want, to, you know, that we want to put everything together and not be open to the work of the Holy Spirit and not live lives of obedience. And it's a word of the Lord for us over the years, you know, because now we're 17 years old and, and we have a few things now that we didn't have before. But what we have makes no difference whatsoever. Zero compared to what we have in the Holy Spirit. God doesn't define us by our building, even though we have one now. I just met a family that was here. They're, they're back. Uh, as I was greeting, they were here. The last time they were with us was in the school. So things have considerably changed in the last few years of what God has done. But that doesn't make us any more usable or any less usable. It's our commitment to the Holy Spirit, our commitment to the Lord, to receiving what Jesus says and then giving it away. Things that were committed to us, we give them away. Things that we've heard, we give them away. Just like, G- just like Paul said, Paul's not replacing himself with, uh, replacing Jesus with himself when he says the things you heard from me because he heard from the Lord. He spent years of personal discipleship with Jesus because he said, remember every communion, we use this verse, the things that I receive from the Lord, I give to you. And that's the true emphasis of discipleship. The things that we receive from the Lord, we give to you. That's the key. What's not from the Lord is not for the Lord. It's not for his church. The life of a church, the life of a believer is not the function of a lot of things that we try to make it. Just because we have a building doesn't mean we're a real church. The presence of the Holy Spirit makes us a real church. We're the church. It's not the building. It's not the the things that we have. We don't need any of these things. We use them as tools. Sure, of course. 
Opportunity to reach more, of course. Opportunity to have a school for the kids, of course. Opportunity to engage in worship, yes. But we don't need any of this stuff. We don't need any of it. We just need the Lord. Isn't that what you had when you got saved? Just had the Lord. That's it. It's not the building. It's not the technology. But I mean, you have to understand something. Time is marching on. So we need to adapt ourselves to the culture that we're in. Like, like the way that we reach people has to change. Well, we can't be going sending you down to uh, the bookstore so you can get your eight-track tape of the message, you know. Okay, after the Bible study, some of you don't even know what eight-track tape is. So let's go to cassettes. All right, let's go to cassettes. You know, we don't go down to go make sure you get your cassette. You go, what is a cassette? Oh, well, let's make sure you go down and get your CDs. We're still using CDs, but those are going. Now it's get your app. You can listen to the study within minutes on your app. You can forward it and send it and post it. And you, like, we can't be stuck back in the day. So we have to adapt. We have to adapt to the culture that we're in. We have to adapt to the people that we want to reach. Ask any missionary. They'll tell you they adapt to the culture. You don't force a culture upon a culture. You become a part of the culture to reach the culture. That's the same in the United States. We have our culture. We need to reach the culture. So while, while methods might change, the gospel never, ever changes. Gospel never changes. And we're going to change the technology. We're going we're to use different stuff. And we're going to paint a wall and project on it. We're going to have screens. We're going to have cameras. Of course. It doesn't make us any better or any worse as a church. What makes us a church is our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to become a man, a movement, and then a machine, and then a, a monument. Sure, when we look back, we look back with respect. We don't remove the ancient landmarks. We acknowledge, just like your family, we acknowledge our family with all its faults and failures. But we spend, just like driving here, you spend most of your time looking forward, not backwards. You spend most of your time looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Or as I saw this morning, the Lord put on my heart when Paul talked about he's pressing onward, forgetting those things that are behind, he's pressing onward and upward for the call of Christ Jesus. It's just so important that we grasp that. As a fellowship family, we're in a dangerous place. As a movement, we're in a dangerous place. But look at Jesus is bigger than any movement on the earth. Jesus is bigger than any revival. Jesus is bigger than any man he's ever used. Jesus is bigger than any woman he ever used. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we tap into what he's doing on the earth, man, we're right in the middle of his will. And we need to stay there, church. We need to stay there. We are going through the Gospel of John one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web, AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five Minute Apologetics for Today. Now, the book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. 
Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Now, you may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work over the radio and the Internet and will be prayerfully and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation and around the world grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, Pastor Ed, we've been listening to King Jesus Pray today, and along the way we learned what it means to be a disciple. I heard it, I received it, and I did it. I thought it would be fitting to close our time in prayer. Would you lead us? Father, we pray together around the country, around the world. Uh, I love technology, God. Thank you for allowing us to live in a generation with the technologies that we have to be able to be connected all over the world, all over the country. We come to you, Lord, just with that sense of, Father, we love you. We appreciate you. We cling to you. And we ask you, God, to fill us with your Holy Spirit today that we might accomplish all that would please you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying, Pastor Ed. Don't miss our next study in John's Gospel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.